Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. We are going to finish up the first parak of Pirkei Avot with the 18th Mishnah. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel used to say, On three things does the world exist or endure, Al Hadin on justice, Val Haemet and on truth, Val Hashalom and peace. Shneemar that it says, Emet umishpat shalom shiftu b'sha'arechem, that truth and justice and peace are judged at your gates. So as I look at this Mishnah, it again, follows the three-part template that we've seen all along in this, in this chapter. And it seems very to the point, right? On judgment, on justice. And so, one of the first things that uh, comes to mind is the idea that someone, uh, a mentor of mine taught me, that there can never be such a thing as too much justice. Right? Sometimes we can go overboard on certain things one way or another, but there can never be too much justice. And so, Akiva, I'm hoping you can shed some light on the role of justice from, uh, from a human perspective. Avi, I think that's a great question. I'm going to just toss another one at you, though. I thought Dean was judgment. And I'm wondering, because in the translation, it does say justice. They're not the same thing, though. So can you help us understand where they came up in this context that Dean was justice and not judgment, please? So one of the things that's important to realize is that anytime you have a translation, it's also an interpretation. And one of the challenges that we find in English is that the word judgment can mean right what happens at the end of a court case, but it can also refer to me just seeing you in the grocery store and judging you. And so I think that what the translators of the Mishnah here were trying to get across was that we're not talking about making snap judgments is a good thing, or even the judgments themselves that judges might make in the courtroom being good. But really it's the idea of justice, that finding the right answer at the end of a court case is part of what is establishes the world. And so I think that's why they went with that translation as opposed to the idea of judgment. 
So now I'll bring it back and say, talk to us more about justice. I think that justice is an opportunity. We, we as people, we, we're taught oftentimes, unfortunately, at very young ages, that the world isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And there are people who time and again experience that lack of fairness. And I think in this context, the fairness is also equal to justice. Because we think of justice as being fair, if, especially if we're going to follow it up by truth. So if justice and truth and... peace are what the world stands on, then I think it's very reasonable to say that those are all concepts that equate with fairness. So this obviously is very different, though, than what we actually experience. And quite frankly, the, the, the Mishnah goes on to say that this isn't talking about now. This isn't talking about the world here and now. This is talking about at the gates. And I take that to mean that the gates, when, uh, when we go to Alamaba, the world to come. And so when I'm reading this and when I'm, interpreting what this is talking about. To me, it sounds like the idea of the ultimate lack of understanding we have in what goes on in our world. We want things to be just. We want things to be true. We want things to be peaceful. And I think that that's a true statement, even amongst those who seemingly do not want those things. I would be willing to say that at least in part, many of that has to come from or rather much of that has to come from a lack of agreement on what is justice and what is truth and what is peaceful. That being said, those are obviously, there are also exceptions, but I do think that we don't understand why certain things happen the way they do, why terrible things happen, why many people have to time and again endure hardships and pain and loss and suffering. And I think at least my hope is, is that what this mission is trying to teach us is that the world stands on what truth, justice, and peace are. We just don't know what that means until we're done on this earth. That's, that's I think, what my interpretation of it would be. And, and I know that didn't answer the question, but it kind of, I think, explains how no, we couldn't have too much justice. We can't have too much truth. I think sometimes you need to be careful with what truth you share and how much, but to be truthful is important. And arguably, even if you feel that sometimes you have to fight for peace, the fact is, is if you didn't have to fight for peace, you would ultimately be going for the peace part. So... I think that you can't have too much. I think we just don't always understand what it means. And it's a great reminder, I think, in times when things are hard and things are terrible, not 
the platitude of God has a plan or anything like that, but rather the fact that we are not capable of understanding. And that's why platitudes don't help. That's why words of kindness don't always impart what we hope for them to. And going back to last week's Mishnah, why sometimes silence has such a value. So you've sort of transitioned us into the next stage, which is the idea of truth. And I want to ask, because you said there, there can't be too much truth. <clears throat> I guess I wonder, is it possible for truth to be relative? In other words, can your truth and my truth be different and for them to be equally true? Well, I have to tell you that Obi-Wan Kenobi already explained this to us. And for anybody who doesn't know what I'm referencing, I, well, please watch Star Wars. Um, but truth is related to your point of view. Of course, there's an ultimate truth. Again, I'm going to fall back on the idea that we aren't meant to understand that. And we find out later, I hope, what all of these things actually are. But as we understand it, yes, truth is absolutely based on perspective. We, we learn all the time that history is written by the winners, right? We, we can look at the perspectives of people to take even our own country. I'm going to pick a very obvious one because I think that there's hopefully no one left who, uh, after a certain age, realizes the irony in a bunch of slave owners saying that they want freedom and fighting with people because they didn't want to pay taxes and not have a say and then didn't give anyone else a say except for themselves. So, right... But from their perspective, they thought that that was the truth. I'm not condoning it. I'm not justifying it. I'm simply pointing out that I don't think any of our founding forefathers, not, not, not the Jewish ones, the, the United States ones, and I realize I should clarify because we have international listeners, but I don't think any of those individuals for a second thought that what they were doing was, was anything but a truth. I have to give them that benefit of the doubt for other reasons that we've learned about. So giving them the benefit of the doubt, I think that clearly can, uh, ex that can, I think is possibly the most relevant, relevant depiction of how truth is both certainly based off of perspective but not absolute in our understanding of it. And so finally, I think that takes us to peace. And you spoke before about how you may need to fight for peace. Um, and, and again, I'm going to sort of push back and say, is there a thing 
such a thing as too much peace? In other words, are there times where in order to not fight, um, you have to be willing to give things up, including possibly your your most important principles. And is that too much for peace? In other words, if we said, to take an extreme example, the state of Israel should have peace no matter what. And so even if that means giving up pieces of land or giving up even, even the whole country, would that be too much to try and achieve peace? You really ought to open that Pandora's box, Avi? We certainly know that there are people who have all those different viewpoints. I'm going to go out on a limb and say neither you, Avi, nor myself believe that that's the answer. Um, I think it kind of speaks to, again, the perspectives of all of it, right? Because the the leadership that has in the past decided that giving up land for peace was reasonable uh, had the perspective that they were going to get peace and therefore that was worth it and they weren't going to just have to be pushed into the sea. Um, so I think that that is very clearly, again, a perspective issue. That being said, I would say that my perspective, and again, I feel fairly comfortable in sort of talking for you, at least insofar as to say, you can't just give up on who you are, because the truth is, is that that's not the beginning pieces. That's neither truth nor justice. Peace comes after justice and after truth for a reason, because without just and without truth, you can't have peace. You can't, peace is not free. It's not something that you can just have. So yes, sometimes you have to fight for it. And yes, knowing who you are and being who you are are imperative to a successful peace. Because that's the other thing is that this, I presume, is not suggesting any kind of peace. It's a true and just peace, which doesn't mean giving up who you are. Assimilating and getting rid of everything that you have doesn't make you at peace. It makes you subservient, which is not justice and is not true peace. Avi, I want to throw a couple of things back for you to kind of go over because... You know, we learned in the beginning of this uh, Parakalif that the word world stood on three different things. And now, at the end, we're finding out that the world stands on three other things. Does the world stand on six things? So if you look at the language carefully, right? The, at the beginning it says, on three things does the world stand. And here it says, on three things does the world endure. And while that may seem like 
a trivial difference. Uh, I think that Torah certainly, but Mishnah as well, are very particular with the words that they use. And so the idea of what is it that keeps us standing? In other words, if you think of a stool, what keeps the stool standing are its three legs, and the ability to put pressure on it is allowed by the fact that those are equal, uh, they equally spread the weight, right? Here, it isn't a question of what allows us to sit in the world day to day, but rather, what is it that will allow us to endure long term? And the ability to say, if we are going to look, and, and I think this is one place where we may differ, you talked about the, the gates being olam haba, I'm going to say, I think it's olam hazet, it's this world that we live in. If you are looking at the community that you live in, and you say, I'm going to look at these three things. I'm going to look at whether there is justice in the community, whether there is truth in the community, and whether there is peace in the community. And if there is, then this is a community that can endure. But if those three things do not exist in this community, then the community itself is at risk. And the community itself may not be able to endure. And so there is, what do I need in the moment? But then there's also, what do I need long-term? And so I think Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel was looking in the largest sense, in the, in the meta sense of what is required and what is needed in order to um, have a community be successful. Well, if that's the case, he left off the need for at least two shoals. So, I, I, I like your response. I do have to say, I think that we do differ a bit on, on the whether it's Olam Hazah or Olam Abba. And, and perhaps that's also an, a, an idea of, again, what's ideal. Because in an ideal sense, I agree with you. Unfortunately, I also think that if that's what's required for us to endure, then unfortunately in most of our communities we're sorely lacking that in one sense or another. And not because people aren't doing the best they can, but because I don't know that this world is capable of having the ideal. So I would respond with another uh, rabbinic idiom, which is, which means it is not up to you to complete the job, but yet neither may you ignore the task. And the idea is, no, we may not have reached the ideal on any of these components, but yet we should always be striving towards them. And the community needs to be striving towards them. If we give up, the idea of justice, if we give up the idea of hope, if we give up the idea of peace, if we give up the idea of truth, and we say, no, those things aren't important to us, then it is a society that begins to fall apart. When anyone can get up and say anything they want and there is no checks or balances on the truth, we begin to see what happens in other countries based on that. 
when judges and, and court systems are corrupt, we're able to see in other countries how that impacts people's uh, faith in the government. If, if there is no peace, right, we can see right now that it's simply impossible for people to live normal lives in places where peace is missing or inaccessible. And so, again, I don't know that we can ever reach the ideal, but we certainly need to strive towards it. Agreed. Avi, I, I want to ask you about the uh, Rabbi Haninia line that's at the end of Parak Aleph, because it's the, it's the same line we use after Torah study so that we can say uh, a special Kaddish. But why do you need to say that line before you can say the special Kaddish? Because aren't you doing the Torah study, which therefore entitles the Kaddish de Rabbanon? So I want to jump back for a minute and talk about what is Kaddish and why do we say it. So there are actually, I'm going to say, four different kinds of Kaddish. There is the Chatzi Kaddish, also sometimes known as Half Kaddish, which separates components of the service. So the most traditional place to find it is between um, the, the Birchot HaShachar and Shacharit, right? between the, the introductory blessings of the morning and the main part of Shacharit, right after Yishtabach. Then you have full Kaddish. The full Kaddish also separates pieces of tefillah. You find it more at the end of the service, for instance, right before Aleinu. You have the mourner's Kaddish. The mourner's Kaddish is similar to the full Kaddish, except that it removes one key line, the Titkabel line. And I think this is an important place to talk about why mourners say Kaddish, which is Kaddish is not about the dead. That is a, a misconception that many people have. Rather, Kaddish is an affirmation of belief in God. And the reason that mourners say Kaddish is because what they are really saying is, despite something terrible and tragic that has happened to me, I still affirm the belief of God and that God plays a role in the running of the world. And then the final Kaddish is the Kaddish de Rabbanan, the rabbinic Kaddish after study. And that's where we are at the moment. So in order to add an additional Kaddish at the end of the service, the Kaddish de Rabbanan, the rabbinic Kaddish, it is traditional to say some sort of um, agadic material, some sort of rabbinic material that is of an agadic, meaning there is a less halachic, more story component to it. And this Mishnah, which comes from the end of Makot, which says, Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia, Omer, Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia used to say, Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lizakot at Yisrael, God wanted to confer merit upon Israel, therefore, he gave them many 
he gave them the Torah and, and many mitzvot, that it says, Hashem chafetz laman tzidko, yagdil Torah v'yadir, Hashem desired for the sake of Israel's righteousness to make the Torah great and glorious. And so, this is a nice piece of uh, Agadic literature that ties well into what we are about to do, which is to do more Torah learning and, and tefillah, uh, and then it is followed by the Kaddish Durabanan. And so it is printed here so that if you were learning this Mishnah in a uh, setting where there was a minyan, it could be said, and the Kaddish Durabanan would be said after it. Um, in our particular case, it's just the two of us, so we will not say Kaddish. Um, but it is an important piece to look at and to know. I want to finish off, though, with a question for the Shabbos table that goes back to the final Mishnah that we learned in Pirkei Avot, which, again, talked about this idea of justice, truth, and peace, and say, if you had to choose one of the three, which would be the most important and why? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.